Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 56 of the Physician Assistant Exam Review Podcast. This week, we're going to be continuing with pulmonology discussing pneumonia. My name is Brian Wallace. I'm the host and creator here at physicianassistantexamreview.com. Uh, you can find all of the notes, everything uh, that I produce over on the website, www.physicianassistantexamreview.com. Uh, this past week for PA week, we had a ton of fun over on the site. I produced three different videos uh, with just a ton of information that was so much fun for me to do. I haven't done video in a very long time. And it was just a lot of fun to record, a lot of fun to produce, and a lot of fun to see how many people went through it and the great feedback I got on it. We did a uh, <clears throat> a whole episode on study tactics. We did a whole episode on test taking. We did a whole episode on uh, looking for a job and finding the, a, a great job. And I did just a lot of fun. And one of the things I found was that I not only had a ton of fun doing it, but there was just so much to get out of it, both for me and for those people who watched it. So I'm sorry if you missed that. That did come down. That was up for the week before and the week of PA week. Uh, this is 2019. If you're listening to this far into the future, but I plan on doing a lot of stuff like that uh, moving forward. It just was it was just too much fun, and I think it was too valuable. So anyway, that's what's been going on here. Uh, it is a marvelous day. Things have been really looking up. We are moving into October towards Halloween. I haven't quite figured out what the kids are going to be for Halloween yet, but we'll figure that out soon enough. And right around the corner is a Thanksgiving. So I've been working on the latest issue of the Physician Assistant Exam Scholars Newsletter, and that will be the Thanksgiving issue, where I think we're going to do a lot of things with that theme, and you'll have to wait and see how that turns out. Anyway, so we're talking about uh, pulmonology. We're moving through this section, and in particular this week, we're going to be talking about pneumonia, which is kind of a big deal, right? It's a the infectious state for the lungs, or a major one anyway. There's a lot of other things we've talked about, but this is certainly a big one where a bunch of questions can come from pretty easily, so I think it's one to focus on. So anyway, let's go ahead and get started with our priming questions. All right, so number one, the most common cause of community-acquired pneumonia. What is the most common cause of community-acquired pneumonia? Strep pneumonia is number one. What's the most common cause of hospital-acquired pneumonia? What is the most common cause of hospital-acquired pneumonia? So this is gram-negative bacillus, so think pseudomonas, and staph aureus. Those are our two culprits. Beneath what CD4 count should you start thinking about pneumocystis pneumonia? So this is an HIV patient. Under what CD4 count should you start thinking about pneumocystis pneumonia? Less than 200. And today we've got four. So this is our fourth one. What antibiotics are first-line treatment of community-acquired pneumonia? What are antibiotics are first-line treatment for community-acquired pneumonia? So macrolides, which include things like azithromycin or clarithromycin, and doxycycline. All right. So two things before we get completely started today. One is I'm going to butcher names of things as we go through this. I know this horrifies some of you and some of you just laugh and move on. I hope the majority of you do the second one because it's simply, uh, this is not an area of my expertise and I'm just going to move along as I see fit. So the second thing I want to talk about is the idea of getting your brain wrapped around some of these ideas. 
And I know that was sort of redundant. The idea of, of getting these things in your head so that they stick, right? <clears throat> and you're not trying to come up with memorizing lines on a page. You're not trying to memorize notes. You are understanding and visualizing and seeing these disease states so that you can retain them, right? So, you know, some people will pretend that their great aunt has a specific disease or some fictional character has a specific disease and that makes it easier to hang on to. Well, I also think it's easier to hang on to if you just get and understand what the disease is or what's going on. And obviously pneumonia is one that gets talked about a lot and one that you probably have a pretty good handle on. But a lot of these things, you know, I don't know if it's just me, I thought I had a better handle on them than I did. And once I moved along further and further through these processes through medicine, I started to get a better and better picture of what the difference is because between things like bronchitis and pneumonia and the areas that it affects and why it affects them and what different bacteria or viruses affect those different areas and why that may be. And how come one person gets sick when they're in a room with someone with pneumonia and another person doesn't? These are all difficult things to get your brain wrapped around. But I stand by the idea that if you can do that, you're in a much better position to remember them and retain them so you don't have to keep memorizing them over and over and over again every time you have to learn them. So with pneumonia, I just pulled up a definition from Oxford which reads like this. It's a lung inflammation caused by bacterial or viral infection in which the air sacs fill with pus and may become solid. I love that picture. Just picture that in your head. The air sacs fill with pus and may become solid. The inflammation may affect both lungs, one lung, or only certain lobes. Um, but it's that first part that's colorful that makes it stick out in my head. And it makes me think that the very deep down tissue in the lungs is infected and inflamed and then becomes filled with pus, which is kind of gross, right? Super gross. But it helps to paint that picture in your head. We're not talking about the bronchioles. We're talking about those that deep down tissue uh, becoming infected in this case. So that's what pneumonia is. So for as far as community-acquired pneumonia, the most common cause is strep pneumonia, right? So it causes about 50% of cases. But you can have lots of other bacteria that can also cause pneumonia. That's not the only one. There's tons of them. In fact, you know, lots and lots and lots of them. We only deal in the most common things, especially as your test is concerned, but even as your practice might go someday, the most common things we deal with most commonly. So we need to know those really well and then stack the information on top of that. But our base, our foundation is in the most common things. So for strep, I'm sorry, for uh, community-acquired pneumonia, so that's uh, blah, 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 blah. That is pneumonia that happens that you get when you're outside in the world, right? So you're not in the hospital. You're just walking around the street, and you wind up with a lung infection. That's community-acquired pneumonia. The most common cause is strep pneumonia. That causes about 50% of cases. So if you know that one thing, you're really way ahead of the game. H. flu is another uh, relatively common cause. Staph aureus, Klebsiella, uh, Legionella is another good one. And then certainly viruses can cause this, so influenza and RSV. Because remember, it's not pneumonia isn't a specific bug in the lungs. It's a specific area of the lungs that becomes infected, right? And it's that collection of pus and yuck that we sort of define it as. Clinical presentation. So all of this stuff should be things you no longer need to memorize, right? I should be able to ask you right now, if you get air sacs filled with pus and inflamed, in the base of your lungs, what will the symptoms be? 
You don't have to memorize this anymore. It should be pretty, pretty obvious. You're going to get a cough that gets worse. You're going to feel terrible. That's called general malaise. You're going to get shortness of breath. You could get tachycardic. You could get pleuritic chest pain. Fever and chills are common. Sweats are common. All of those things make sense if you have a deep down lung infection. Lab studies and physical exam findings. These also should make a lot of sense. Dullness to percussion. Well, if that, like our definition said, if that those air sacs become solid, you will get a dullness to percussion. That's sort of the definition there. On auscultation, you can get bronchial breath sounds. You can get crackles. Egophony is one that may help you separate out pneumonia from something else. This is where an E sounds like an A when you listen with your stethoscope to someone as they say the E sound, it'll come through to you as an A sound. And that is just has to do with the way that the sound waves transmit through that thickened tissue. Not thickened, that's not what I mean. That's more solid tissue. One way we're going to diagnose this is with a chest x-ray. Probably the most common way we're going to diagnose this is with a chest x-ray. So you can get a consolidation in the lungs, air bronchograms, or pleural effusion. So you can see that consolidation will usually be your indicator. Although without it, it doesn't mean they don't have pneumonia. Um, I'm not looking at it right now, but I believe the chest x-ray usually lags behind a little bit uh, so that you can definitely have symptoms without that consolidation. You can also do a uh, culture and gram stain, uh, culture and gram stain of the sputum. But as I was reading through this, that's less helpful than you would think, because a lot of people carry these bugs in their lungs to begin with. So some of them may turn up and may not be the causative agent. It may be difficult to culture for uh, numerous reasons. So although that's certainly one way you can go, it's less helpful than you would want to think it is. Treatment. So the number one thing with pneumonia is considering the patient's overall health risk, right? You have to assess, does this patient need to be hospitalized? Is it, can this patient uh, be treated as an outpatient out of the hospital on their own? Are they, you know, and, and how we do that is basically is a lot of it's based on age and what other medical issues they have. So if you have an elderly person with heart failure, you're going to probably hospitalize them with pneumonia. If you have a young child under five with pneumonia, you're probably going to hospitalize them with pneumonia. If you have a, 20, a healthy 20-year-old who winds up with pneumonia, you may be able to manage them as an outpatient, right? So it's stratifying that risk that goes along uh, a lot along with this. And then obviously it's going to be an antibiotic treatment in most cases. And we're going to start with something uh, like a macrolide, azithromycin or clarithromycin. So I just realized as I'm going through this that I just, I wasn't paying attention. I gave you the answers to our priming questions. Ah, oh, what a pain. Oh, well. So this week, you got, you got ahead of the game. So what I'll do is at the end, I'll hold down on you a little bit and helpfully force you to try and remember those. So let's just keep moving. Um, so I just realized that as I'm reading through these, the answer to that first one, or that last one just popped into my head. So first line medications, macrolides, azithromycin, clarithromycin, or doxycycline. Next, we have nosocomial pneumonia, which is hospital-acquired pneumonia, <clears throat> which is our other mainstay, right? So this is not involving people on a ventilator. Uh, that's a little bit different. So this is a pneumonia diagnosis after 48 hours in the hospital. So somebody goes in with a hip fracture and they're there for two or three days and then they get diagnosed with pneumonia. That's hospital acquired pneumonia. It's the most common organism in this case, which you should remember because I already gave it to you. So let's do it this way. What is the most common organism or gram negative uh, uh, organism for hospital acquired pneumonia? Well, there were two, right? It was negative 
um, bacillus or strep, uh, not strep, um, I got myself all discombobulated now, pseudomonas, and staph aureus was the other one. And then in an intensive care setting, pseudomonas is the most common organism. Treatment here is going to be considered the patient's overall health risk. Like we, I'm sorry, I'm just screwing this all up today. Clinical presentation is fever, chills, and malaise, cough, dyspnea, chest pain, purulent sputum. So not that much different than what we had before, right? Similar symptoms to outpatient. Lab studies and physical exam findings, elevated white blood cell count, x-ray with newer progressive infiltrations. Again, a gram stain of the or culture of the sputum, but for the same reasons, it's not super effective. Pulse oximetry and ABGs will tell you the severity of the disease, right? So they'll tell us how poorly oxygenated the tissue is. Treatment here, broad-spectrum antibiotics are usually started immediately. So we know that our most common organisms are Pseudomonas and Staph aureus. And so one of the ways that they talk about this, and it may or may not matter for your test, it probably doesn't, is how you treat a hospital-acquired pneumonia depends a lot on your hospital, a lot on your community, and what sort of things come up more frequently. Um, so one of the things you're looking at is, do you normally have more Staph aureus infections or more pseudomonal infections? And is your Staph aureus... Uh, resistant, right? So can, is it antibiotic resistant? So you're going to try and use an anti-pseudomonal if that makes sense. You're going to use um, vancomycin if that makes sense. Your, so your anti-pseudomonals will be piperacillin or, or acephalosporin. You may even double those up or in some cases do two of those and vancomycin depending on what the most common bugs are in your particular hospital. But in general, you want to realize that the most common organisms that cause this are pseudomonas and staph aureus and if you can hold on to that i think you'll be doing okay from there okay the last one i want to talk about in particular and then we'll go on to a couple others that are a little bit smaller and less important is pneumocystis pneumonia which is caused by pneumocystis gerevici um this is this organism can be found in the lungs of healthy people right so it's it's not an uncommon organism to find the difference is it's an opportunistic infection. So this affects people who are immunocompromised. So this would have been another really good question, which I didn't write, is give me three different ways or reasons a patient may be immunocompromised. What are three different times or reasons a patient may be immunocompromised? Well, one is corticosteroid users, right? If you have long-term corticosteroid users, they're immunocompromised. HIV with the CD4 count less than 200 or organ transplant patients. So whenever you see stuff like that in the test question, man, that should jump off the page at you, right? There's a couple of things that will really clue you in when you see a terms like these and you should just be ecstatic when you see those on a test. Clinical presentation here would be fever, shortness of breath, and a non-productive cough. So again, sort of vague lung issues. Physical exam may be unremarkable. The chest x-ray will, will often have diffuse interstitial infiltrates, a gla ground glass appearance. And here your pulse oximetry is going to show hypoxia and your ABG will show hypoxia. So that'll show maybe a little bit more than a generalized pneumonia. Treatment in an immunocompromised patient with shortness of breath and a cough should be started on um, Bactrim, because I can't pronounce the rest of that. 
trimethoprim sulfamethaxazole, TMP-SMX is one way it's written, or Bactrim. A steroid may be used as an as an as inflammation of the alveoli exacerbates the hypoxia. So if, that's, if those alveoli get, swole, get swollen, right, if they get inflamed, you can't pass air as well, you wind up with a hypoxia. So you can use a steroid here as well. Pantamidine is another medication which can be used here, but it has a lot of side effects. So maybe if it's me, I'm holding on to uh, remembering Bactrim is the treatment for a HIV patient with pneumonia. Other lung infections you should know about. So I'm just going to cover two. I think it's two real quick here. These are less important at the moment, but things that are easy to get right. So I don't think it hurts to cover them. The first one is psittacosis or parrot fever. This is caused by chlamydophila, psittacae, psittaki, something or other. And the symptoms are similar to an atypical pneumonia. Treatment is with tetracycline or doxycycline. And this is the one that if you see a question that talks about a, parent, a patient who's around parrots or macaws or some types of birds and has a lung infection, this should jump off the page at you. And again, treat it with tetracycline or doxycycline. Histoplasmosis. This is found in soil with bird and bat droppings and the fungus gets inhaled. So this is an exposure issue. So the longer someone is in that environment, the more likely they are to get it. So again, if you see a something with bird or bat droppings or how that could be possible, um, think histoplasmosis. Now, most infections are mild and self-limiting, but can be severe in immunocompromised patients. Symptoms are fever, cough, and malaise, and the x-ray may be nor is usually normal. The sputum or serum can be cultured, but it's a slow-growing fungus, so it's not really super helpful. And in severe situations, you can use itraconazole or epitericin B um, for a few months if you need to. Okay, so that'll wrap up our discussion here of uh, pneumonia. I think that really just about covers it. And that'll wrap up this deep infection of the lungs. We'll cover more infections in the next episode. In episode 57, we'll cover uh, more infections and you'll start to see the pattern that uh, that comes about as we talk about the different areas of the lungs that get in, get affected or infected, as the case may be. But anyway, so for today, let's run through. Um, so one of the things I want to talk about in our uh, study tip for today is getting your brain wrapped around the ideas. And I mean that a little bit differently than trying to... Uh, people say all the time, I'd rather understand than memorize. And that's not what I mean. I, memorization is also super important. These are not two separate factors. They are two sides of a coin, you can't memorize, you can't retain things if you don't memorize them, right? Now they help each other. So if you memorize something, you may retain it more, but these are two different things. So don't say I'm someone who likes to understand things, not memorize things. That uh, just sort of makes you feel better, but it doesn't actually help anything. That's not the way this works. Uh, they go back and forth. But I do want you to take some time to deep down, get a picture of what some of this stuff looks like, of what some of these things are. So pneumonia is one of them. And again, I know that you know what pneumonia is. I know as as long as you've been alive, you've heard that term before. But I need you to understand, like I talked about in the beginning, it is an infection deep down in those alveoli, in those air sacs, and they get filled with pus. And then you can build out a picture of what a patient would look like if that were going on, you know, kind of easily. It's not that hard to start to drag up from that 
place of pus in the bottom of the lungs to, well, is the person going to look normal? Are they going to have a fever? <laughs> Are they going to be uncomfortable? You know, it's pretty easy to build out what that individual would look like. So I want you to start thinking about it from that aspect and getting a very visceral feeling about what some of these things are and sort of really deep down, uh, not just understanding the terms and then uh, I wish I had a better way to explain this, but to, to really on a, on a deeper level, be able to picture it in your head, be able to feel it uh, in your bones when you hear a, sp- a particular term and that'll really help you. And then once you have that, uh, like I said, those symptoms come pretty naturally, but it's the treatments that get harder and harder to retain but if you have that visceral picture, then you can start to understand, well, community-acquired pneumonia, um, my top two are macrolides and doxycycline. Well, that's the part you have to memorize, right? Because that's a little bit harder to to, to feel. Uh, but those two, then that's all you have to remember. You can The rest of it becomes pretty easy. So anyway, that's our study tip for today is try to spend a little time sitting with the information and letting it sort of sink into your into your brain and get a better feel for what each of these things actually is and what not just the list of, of bugs that can cause it, but what the disease actually is and what, it, what it's like. All right. So our priming questions that I ruined on you, but you're going to join, you're going to do your best to here to, to make me proud and Give them back to me here. At the end, we're going to wrap this up with the most common cause of community-acquired pneumonia is strep pneumonia. The most common cause of hospital-acquired pneumonia is gram-negative bacillus, so we're thinking pseudomonas. And what's the second one? Staph aureus. Under what CD4 count should you start thinking of pneumocystis pneumonia? Under what CD4 count should you start thinking of pneumocystis pneumonia? Less than 200, less than 200. What antibiotics are the first-line treatment of community-acquired pneumonia? What antibiotics are first-line treatment of, um, of, acqui- of community-acquired pneumonia? And we just, just, just said this, macrolides, so azithromycin, clarithromycin, and then uh, also doxycycline. And that'll wrap up our show for today. Um, I've definitely been having a ton of fun this past week uh, with PA Week stuff I've been putting out with all kinds of new and interesting things that are happening in uh next month what is next month next month is I keep wanting to say thanksgiving month it's it's november in november i've got a whole bunch of new and exciting things going on that with people on the email list will definitely find out about first so you want to go over to the website www.physicianassistantexamreview.com and get on that email list if you haven't done it yet that's where all the new and interesting things happen and that's the end of the music so we're going to wrap it up for today uh take care and good luck to you if you're taking your exam this week <laughs>